Are you talking about cash? You had yeah, seven thousand dollars cash. This I just brought it home. U.S. cash. Yeah, <laughs> I just brought it home. <laughs> so, and I paid. I think I paid my debts with yes. that. I think I did. And just you walk into the bank and or whatever. Yeah, like, I probably look like a, Here's some a, sort of like <laughs> shitty dealer or something. Dr- yeah. It's my drug money. Literally, yeah. This is the Personal Finance Show. Hi, I'm Bo Humphreys, and this is the Personal Finance Show. Rubina Ahmed Hawk wants you to know that personal finance can be exciting. Rubina is a personal finance expert and has been a broadcast journalist for 20 years. Rubina's experience in broadcasting means that she has this ability to take dry financial topics and make them interesting. 20 years in broadcast journalism also means that Rubina has some very interesting stories, some of which you'll hear in this interview. Rubina did an excellent job as host of the Canadian Personal Finance Conference this past November, and I'm excited to be helping her launch her new podcast called Dear Ruby. Head to DearRuby.com, that's D-E-A-R-R-U-B-I.com, for details on how you can be part of the podcast. Rubina joined me in the studio in Hamilton to share her personal finance story. My earliest money memory is going for lunch in middle school at the Pizza Pizza that was behind our school, and a slice of pizza was two dollars and 25 cents okay often there were kids that didn't have enough money so we'd all get our quarters together to make sure everyone could get a slice oh and i remember specifically once that i didn't have enough money i was really bummed that i couldn't get the slice of pizza and my friend lent me two quarters which made up the difference that i needed to get the slice of pizza and it kind of taught me that when I get my allowance, I've got to be a little bit more careful because yeah. I want to be because we used to go. I can't remember which day, but there was always one day we all went. So it was kind of an event like we'd leave the school ground. We'd walk to Pizza Pizza. We'd all eat pizza and then we'd go back to class hmm. or back to school after lunch hour. And not having enough money to get the pizza was really stressing me out. <laughs> and my friend came to my rescue. So that's my earliest money memory, which is kind of coupled with a lesson that if you want something, you've got to save for it and you've got to watch your cash flow so that when that opportunity comes that you're not asking others for cash to yeah, make it happen. And a couple of quarters can make a difference. Yeah. You don't think you don't think it will, you know, oh, should I have bought that candy? Uh, but then you realize I won't you didn't maybe know that you won't be able to buy the pizza because you weren't like tracking your coins, right? Yeah. Uh, that early. Yeah. So what age was this? Well, it was grade seven or eight. So what are you in that age? Like, like 13? A, 11, oh, 12. 11, 12 or 13. Yeah, let's say that. So tween, I guess I was a tween. Yeah, yeah. Old enough to know and young enough to still be a little bit irresponsible with my money. And you're getting allowance at that time. Is I was that, getting that's an how allowance. That money? Yeah, I believe it was five bucks a week or something. Sure. So you had to ration that. Yeah. When was the first time you started making money for yourself? Did you get a job like... 14, 15, that kind of thing? Or did you did you work at all? No, the first time I ever made money for myself, I guess I did babysitting. Sure. That was a little bit of money. But my first job job was at a daycare. 
and I was paid minimum wage and I would go there every day after school and I would work from four until six, basically till the daycare closed. And my job was basically to help the teachers in the classroom and do a little bit of cleanup at the end and go home. So that was my first job. And I, you know, I would make, I, I don't know what minimum wage was at the time, but whatever it was, Every day I was making that much times two because I was working two hours every day. Okay. And what what are you doing with the money? Do you remember at that time? Like what is money for you other than the pizza and other things like that? Just spending? Yeah. I think I was just spending it. I sure. don't think I was saving anything. I was already aware that if I wanted bigger things that I'd have to save up for it, but I wasn't doing any long-term savings. I wasn't thinking about yeah. my future, but I definitely would think, okay, I want to get this really cool top or I want to go see a movie with my friend and so I would be definitely saving money out of that paycheck in order to make that happen so I guess very very early on I realized that you have to you have to save money if you want to get the big things like Mm -hmm. the movie and the new top well did your parents have anything to do with this did they talk to you about money Oh, yeah. Money was a huge conversation okay. in my family. So we knew from a very young age what my dad's salary was. We oh, knew nice. yeah. what the house was worth. We knew what the bills were. My parents were first generation to this country. They okay. moved here when they were in their 20s. And so there was a lot of responsibility of sending money back home as well to help sure, okay. elderly parents gotcha. and uh, maybe maybe others who, who just did not have the opportunity that my parents did. So every dollar had to be spent very wisely in order to not just keep our household running, but also to make sure that the responsibilities that they had taken upon themselves of taking care of people in another country, that those were being also fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Where did they come from? Pakistan. Pakistan. Yeah, Pakistan. And uh, what did, were they already skilled at doing something when they came over, like educated uh, or did they get that here? So my dad uh, went to school in England, and so oh, he nice. has, yeah. uh, you know, he's a ur- he's an urban planner, like he's a okay. town planner, yeah, yeah. and so he took town planning when I believe went to uh, I, I believe he studied town planning in Pakistan, and then went to Leeds and did his masters. Mm. He worked in England for ten years, and then he married my mom, and then they came here. So you know, like little stories I hear, like how my grandfather had to sell property in order to fund my dad's education. So from a very Really? Early on, uh, early on, we realized that you know it takes sacrifice to make things happen, hmm. and you use your money wisely. Like I mean, that money that he used to help my dad with his education meant that my dad could move out of the country, obviously get a much better job. He worked yeah. for in Canada. He worked for the the Ministry of Housing Municipal Affairs for uh, I don't know forty so, years. Sounds like a really secure. Probably yeah, well-paying job. super secure. My dad is a super like uh, conservative investor and a pension and maybe. he has a pension. Yeah. So I mean, even these days, I mean, we still we know exactly what his pension is, which is sometimes okay. a point of you talk about that. Yeah, well, I'm not going to tell you what his pension is. Probably <laughs> be annoyed. You don't have to do it online. But you, the fact that you guys talk about it is great. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it annoys me because. Like, I'll be like, well, you should pick up all the checks. You've got this fat pension coming in. You should treat us all the time. But, well, that's uh, a good point. Like, is that why we don't talk about money? Because then, well, you make way more money than me. You should pay for this. Yeah, I think so. It's kind of like, I think money, we start to make assumptions about people. Like, you know, yeah. if you if you have this money, then you should share it. And not everybody wants to share, I guess. And money also, uh, just in a wider conversation, money also gives people worth. Like if you make six figures, people treat you differently than if you say I make $30,000 a year. It's just a fact of life. Like people, Mm -hmm. people respect 
just because you say you make a certain salary. And so it can be difficult sometimes to talk about money if maybe you don't make the kind of salary that people would be impressed with. Mm -hmm. And do you remember, so you're doing your daycare yeah. and you're going through high school yeah. and you, you get another job? I did. So I didn't do the daycare job for very long. No. I'm not very good with kids. Even as a mother, I'm not very, <laughs> I'm not very maternal. I'm sure you're fine with your kids. I'm fine with my own children, but I got kids in like big groups really make me nervous yeah i mean yeah too, I guess. yeah like yeah. I, I i'm not a big like send all your kids over to my house i'll babysit them i'm not yeah, yeah, yeah. i'm not into that i mean i love babysitting like my niece and nephew well i sure. only have a nephew not a niece but i love babysitting them but yeah like if 10 kids come over i start to really that get sounds nervous. that sounds horrible to me sounds terrible yeah <laughs> <laughs> so I worked at a jean store for most of my high school okay. life from when I was, I think 16 was when you could start working in the mall. So I quit my daycare job because I didn't like it. And then I remember thinking to myself, I think it was like July or August that I was going to give myself a one month window to find a better job. And okay. so I guess for me, a better job meant working in the mall because that's a step up from working in a daycare, I guess. And it took me like a week because, I mean, it's just about putting yourself out there. And even though yeah. I had zero experience, I just walked in and I said, well, you know, I have some experience working in this daycare. I'm only 16. Like, what experience do you expect me to have? <laughs> like, what? it's like, you isn't it kind of on yeah. commission anyways? Like, if I don't do a good job, I'm not going to really get much money because you made minimum wage and you made a part of the commission of the clothing that you're able okay, to sell. So some incentive yeah. for you then, yeah. So I worked there for four years and I remember wow. just the other day I was thinking I had this math teacher, um, Mr. Tallahassee was his name. <laughs> that and sounds like a made up name, but yeah. No, his name was Mr. <laughs> Tallahassee and his face was kind of like, he was an older gentleman, but he had face, I don't know how to explain it, but it almost looked like his face was made of something edible because it was just very... <laughs> soft does that make sense but I, in a very um like, I'm, I'm trying here like it was just like it was like his face was like hanging. a sponge yeah like i just remember him having this very unique texture to his face even though i never touched his so face. A face you've never seen on anybody else obviously because no, but a, a, a man that you would like a teacher that I would go to if I wanted to ask a question about my life or and yeah. so I remember Mr. Tallahassee friendly uh, yeah. yeah so he said to me like I fell asleep in class and then after class he's like I want to talk to you and I was like okay and he's like what's going on with you and I was like what do you mean he goes why are you falling asleep in my class I'm like I'm I don't know he goes are you working and I said yeah I have this new job I work at this store called the blue jean and I was there till like 9 30 because you know, mall closed at nine, yeah. takes half an hour to clean up. And he told me at that time, he goes, I think you should quit that job. I think you should focus oh. on your studies. And I even then was like, no way. I want to make money. I want to bring in a paycheck. Yeah. But now thinking back with my own kids, and this might be counterintuitive to everything that I ever say in my <laughs> articles and blogs, is that I think that there is something to be said about keeping kids focused on the reason why they go to school mm. rather than pushing them into the economy too early and kind of asking them, well, you've got to now have this job and you've got this other job of going to school. I ended up dropping, I, I, I finished his math class, but I didn't take any advanced math. I didn't okay. take algebra. I didn't take, yeah. I didn't take anything that I think if I at the time had, because we used to have OAC Well, yeah, that's then. what I was thinking. We're the same generation-ish. Yeah. Uh, OAC generation. So yeah. I didn't take OAC algebra. Yeah. A lot of my friends did, and I feel like that was a disservice. Like, I should have focused on that. Well, I took it, and I'm going to tell you it wasn't a huge <laughs> loss. But, uh, <laughs> no, but there, you're, that's a really good point to your comment. 
what is the purpose of of going to school like for the kids what is their what what is their job what's the end result supposed to be well i think that's their job we all get up in the morning with a purpose yeah some of us go to work some of us are stay-at-home moms some of us freelance whatever it is we wake up every morning and kids it's very structured it's very easy to understand and so you're already teaching them how to be at work you go yeah. you show up on time hmm. you do what is you know what's expected of you you're polite i like that you you meet your deadlines which is essentially what work is yeah yeah and so Going back to the example of my math teacher saying to me, you need to quit this job. He was thinking from that perspective that she is not focusing on the stuff that matters and is too much involved with how much money can I make so I can get some cool stuff. I never thought of high school that way. Like, you're right. It's teaching you structure. Yeah. If if anything, like you're learning about stuff, which is great. You know, I mean, you might know the capital of countries and and, uh, there's a lot of stuff that it really just seems uh, peripheral to your life once you get out there. But you got to touch on everything. But it's really more about that. Like university is really, to me, it's about learning how to be social and interacting with others, but also achieving the thing, right? So like you're learning structure, but you're also going towards that goal of getting a diploma or, you know, getting a degree. Yeah. Doing something else takes away from that. Of course. Multitasking is completely overrated. You're right. And like... We were just sort of talking about this before, but even just like taking stressors out of your life and yeah. multitasking stresses me out. And the the way that I explain it is that if I'm trying to do too many things after dinner, like I'm trying to clean up the kitchen, I'm trying to get my kids to bed, mm-hmm. and then I break a glass, yeah. that glass is going to take me a half an hour to clean up. Yeah. So if I just slowed down 20% mm. and done one thing at a time, I would have saved myself the stress of losing that glass and also cleaning it up. I would have probably saved myself time too because in the end, you're going to make some mistake that's going to set you back where that multitasking isn't going to matter. So I think that's, it's true. Like I want my kids to work when they are teenagers because I think that there's definitely something about building work ethic when you're young that stays with you your whole life. Mm. But I don't want them to work at the detriment of their studies. And I would rather have my daughter be on the school council and be working in that way. Yeah, extracurriculars. Extracurriculars and learning about, you know, if her job is to go to school, being on school council just enhances that experience rather than putting her in a mall somewhere and saying, you know, make minimum wage and understand the economy. There's so much time for her to do that. But my economic situation is different than my parents. I all probably wasn't, I know I wasn't able to go to my dad and say, can you buy me the latest Jordans? Because he couldn't afford to. So mm. I'd have to make the money so I could buy them. That kind yeah. Of thing. And so, yeah, we all, we all have to make those decisions based on our our situations like it totally makes sense what you're saying we need to make sure that the focus isn't solely on money because then your kids will get out and say they're at a job and somebody says hey you want to be on this committee or whatever and they're like no i want to just drive sales and drive sales and all that and then the president doesn't notice them at the committee meeting and they don't get whatever promotion or they their their resume doesn't look very good because all they did was focus on creating profit which is good and all but it's not everything yep so yeah that's i guess that's the risk of that so you kept that job 
I kept and, it. And you didn't get take the maths. I didn't take any of the OEC maths. <laughs> yes. What it, so you took whatever OECs you need to take. Uh, you, did you go to university? I did. Yeah. yeah. So you got six credits of some kind. Some kind. <laughs> mostly in liberal arts because I wanted to be a journalist and sure. a lot of writing. So you knew that. at the, When yeah. did you realize that? I tell this story so much that I feel like I've added to it. <laughs> so there was a journalist that came to our school and I don't remember what year it was but at the time said you have a really good broadcast voice interesting I would agree thank you <laughs> and so I said oh and I wanted to write as it was mm. like so my whole high school life I was very much into my girlfriends and hanging out and yeah. you know like watching 90210 and not so really academic I wasn't yeah. really, yeah, but at the same time, I was still able to get okay grades. Yeah. And so, you know, again, I go back to that example. I wish I'd sort of known that about myself and spent, because the reason I would work is because I'd want to get money so I could hang out with my cool friends and oh, have cool yeah. stuff. So sort of check my priorities if I could go back. <laughs> yeah, so I did. I went to university. I went to Carleton my first year, and then I came back and I finished my degree at York. Then I did uh, a journalism, postgrad journalism at Humber College. Okay. Who paid for school? My first year, my father paid my tuition. Nice. And after that, I was on my own. Okay, so how did you do that? I was really lucky. I didn't, so I didn't work in university. Okay. That's one thing I dropped. Like the teacher, the... <laughs> yeah, I want to call him Delicious Face or something. Deli yeah, like he kind of... Uh, Tallahassee. Thing. Tallahassee. We'll call him that. Mr. Tallahassee. We'll have to send I wish I knew his episode. first name so I could like look him up. <laughs> I have this fear that I think he might have passed because he was oh, yeah. pretty close to retirement. This is going back to 1995. Sure, sure. But I, I was because I did find a teacher online and we connected. There's quite a few teachers. But I mean, because yeah. they at the time, you think about it, you're 16. They might just be 30, you know, and they're kind of like, yeah, they you know, seem, they seem like they're ancient. But they're us. not. Yeah. <laughs> There's this teacher, Mr. Anastasios. We used to call him Mr. A. He's now an actor. He's left teaching. Okay. He's an actor. But I'm friends with him on Facebook. It's really kind of odd to think that he was my science teacher. And yeah. now he's like my friend on Facebook. <laughs> and yeah, like, exactly. And I saw him once on Bloor Street in Toronto, just coming out of a cafe or something. Hmm. And I, I remember I said I saw him in a movie. I think I saw him in Dodgeball. Remember that movie? Well, he was in Dodgeball? Well, he was in like the audience. He was oh. an extra. But they did a very long kind of hold on his face. I'm like, <laughs> I think it was Dodgeball. And I'm like, were you in that movie? He was like, I sure was. I'm like, that's just hilarious. <laughs> that's anyway. crazy. Yeah, I, I paid for my own university university education and I, I had this really great opportunity a friend of mine uh, knew someone at the city of Toronto so she introduced me to the, I guess a hiring manager or somebody that got us a bunch of us that all at the end we realized knew this one person so maybe he created a program for students I'm not sure how it worked but uh, we were paid at the time 12 bucks an hour okay. which was crazy because you know that was a great salary for a young person to make like, Wait, this at, is during school still? This is yeah, during yeah, university, yeah. but I only worked there in the summer. So that's you were able to make enough to pay? Well, I think in the summer I would make like three thousand, four thousand dollars. And that was yeah, and that, that was enough right. with with O with uh with OSAP. Uh, with OSAP and other student loans. I also had a student line of credit. Um I was able to make it happen. Okay. Yeah. And so did you come out with some debt then? I did. And in fact, I like the debts like the, the OSAP debt I paid pretty quickly sure. because it's kind of it's a different feeling you have because you know it's student debt, but the line of credit lingered for a long time because mm. the line of credit was used, yes, to pay my tuition, but then they later on it was used to help me set up my apartment. So it was open, it was revolving. It was always revolving, so, always yeah, open. Yeah, a loan versus a line of credit, right? Yeah. And you were able to pay, was it a smaller amount for OSAP? I think 
when I graduated, my total debt was about 20000 And okay. I think five or six of that was on the line of credit. Oh, okay. And the rest of that was government loan. Oh, so you, you paid off the big amount. Yeah. I paid off the big amount, but because... And I think I used part of my line of credit to pay that off too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I paid that off quickly <laughs> because I didn't want to have to pay a high interest on it because, you know, they charge you after. They start going up. But yeah, I had debt. I mean, and I think that graduating with debt is not a bad thing because you get an no. education out of it, right? Yeah, so you didn't mind having the debt or you weren't too like focused on like, I got to get rid of this? Well, I was living at home and I was freelancing at um, CTV. So I was making okay money. So it was not difficult for me to pay it down. Um, I think my dad might have set me up with some sort of plan of how I'm going to get the debt paid yeah. down. I think while that was happening, I also racked up a $6,000 credit card bill Ooh. that my dad found. So you're learning about credit cards. Learning about credit cards. I have no idea why American Express gave me yeah. someone who was a student and then making, I think, $30,000, $20,000 a year, $6,000, you know, availability on a credit I, card. I had $19,000 limit when I was making like 35. Yeah, it's yeah. insane how like much Like if we can make a difference and uh, at one point change these rules, let's yeah. do it because it's just wrong. It's so wrong. I don't know how universities still I don't know if they still do. I'm pretty sure they do because they make money. These credit card companies on a campus. I think that that is like you're 18 years old, you barely learned how to do basic things for yourself because you're living on your own for the first time. You're like yeah. just getting to know yourself. And how you are, you know, your adult self. And then they throw you a credit card, which as an 18 year old, you're like credit card means I'm grown up and I want that <laughs> credit card. Well, it means you're grown up. But like, what are you what are you using it for? Just living? Yeah. I mean, I was using it on junk. Like, why would I need a credit card? My tuition was, so, so for example, yeah. my first year, my tuition was paid. My dad paid my tuition. I paid my, because I also had savings that were my savings, From but Blue really- Jean? from my mom like it was i don't know if it's i did they have resp back then i'm not even sure i'm not sure how far it goes uh goes back yeah but, but they had maybe. some they had some savings for me sure and so my dad gave me the option he's like you can use this all to pay your housing so that first year you're mm -hmm. done but it's your money or you can you know you can use it over so i said i'll use it all to pay my housing nice so everything was taken care of i mean i had a meal plan i didn't need a credit card what was so i buying you got the credit card and then something in your brain opened up for spending yeah <laughs> It's like I this is money. Yeah, and this is easy money, right? And like and we can I can buy drinks for my friends. Oh, I can yeah. go and get this article of clothing. I can afford to go to a movie. All these things that I I always thought were unattainable, all of a sudden that plastic card it's, made them. It's freedom until we realize it's not. Yeah. And so you got this six thousand dollar bill. This is probably you so max it out. Pretty much. And what was the, like, so did you, you said your dad had to step in? My dad paid it off mm. and then I had to pay him back. And so I think okay. that got me, I think that's the last time I've ever done something like that. Yeah. It is the last time. I think I was 22, 23 years old. Sure. So he got me on whatever, like you're paying me $600 a month for 10 months or whatever the plan was. I had to pay him back. Your the dad one, was a bankruptcy trustee. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and my and he he didn't take interest. Like I, I mean, he could have, if you're yeah. thinking back, I'm like, he should have charged me interest because... He's taking money away that he can be using to invest. And I don't know, maybe it's out of his own line of credit. Who knows where he got the money from? That's but true. He didn't charge me interest. Well, that, yeah. that's nice. But you had, you didn't need interest as incentive to pay your dad back. I don't know. I Would, mean, I, I think. Did you miss I, a payment? I don't think so. No. Yeah. <laughs> I think with my dad, like I've always sort of 
valued that we can go to him and ask him for money because money was an open topic in my household because I knew how my parents were about managing money and how careful they were it's kind of like the ultimate insult to not pay him sure right I can't think of anything that's more insulting there's that that. accountability and respect yeah as well yeah there and of course we don't have that with giant corporations yeah that we don't know yeah right it's just that's why they have to charge us interest (laughs) and but then do you think you maybe didn't learn the lesson of interest at that point or did you kind of get what was what was going to happen if you didn't pay it off right away the minimum payments and you'll never be able to really yeah. pay this down did did that you kind of skip over that at that point i think i did learn that this credit card interest rate was going to destroy me yeah <laughs> uh, i di- i think i did learn and i think i learned that from the fact that it probably was you know, only maybe $5,000 and then every, every month they were adding interest. Yeah, so okay. I, I was so, seeing it with yeah, my own point. eyes. So you got to see a little bit of it. Because part of that 6000 was interest. It wasn't like one month I spent 6000 Sure. I was just making minimum payments yeah. and using whatever room I had okay. to get stuff. So you got a little bit of the minimum payment interest game yeah. enough to make you realize oh, this is dumb. And but you so do you have credit after that though? Just responsible credit? Yeah, I think that that was the last time that I've ever yeah. been really irresponsible, like especially something with like a high interest credit card. I did have a line of credit for a little while after I moved. I lived in England for two years, so when okay. I moved when I moved to England, it was expensive, and I was yeah. in a, a little bit of debt when I came home, so I had to dip into my line of credit to basically pay my credit card in England off because it wasn't even a question of me. It was, I was using it to buy things I needed, but at least I had the know-how as soon as I get back to Canada, I know I have this job. I'm going to use the money to pay this credit card off. So I, I had a, I already had the plan. I didn't have to go to anybody and say, help me. I just paid it off. I think it was 1500 pounds. Okay. So let's talk about that for a bit. So first of all, how'd you get into CTV right away after, (laughs) uh, after university? Was it just applying? So, yeah, so I was at Humber College, and this is the best time that you can take advantage of the fact that you are surrounded by, you know, wannabe journalists, right? First of all, everybody's looking, so you can, like, talk to everybody and see what everyone's doing. But the number one thing happened was a woman named Joanne McDonald, who still works at CTV. Mm. She's now, I believe, the head of CP24, general manager, came in. And I don't know what her role was then, but she came in and she said this was 1999, so everyone was worried the world was going to kind of blow up in 2000. Y2K. Y2K exactly and she's like if any of you guys want freelance work uh, this Christmas we will we will hire you it was an opportunity for me because my parents lived in Scarborough and CTV is in Scarborough I could almost walk to the studio okay so it was just across like I'm my parents are at McCown and Ellesmere and the studio is at McCown and Shepherd so it's just one block it's not far at all and you wanted to write this is what you well I I wanted to be in broadcast journalism so you got to start yeah, I got to start somewhere. Okay. So I went, I just I emailed her or whatever I did. I don't know. And I said, yeah, I'm, I want to work these two weeks that I'm home. Yeah. And so she put me to work. And I remember I worked on 1999 into 2000. Yeah. I worked that evening. Although I didn't stay until the ball dropped. But on New Year's Eve. On New Year's yeah, Eve, okay. I worked. Um, I think I worked until about eight o'clock and then everything was in place. And so, and then the message was, if things go crazy, we need you to come back. Kind yeah, of thing, yeah. right? So I was <laughs> The sort world of, breaks. Yeah. <laughs> And we went down, I think we went downtown or something to actually see, you know, to, to celebrate the new year. 
But it was amazing to be in that newsroom on New Year's Eve. And that led to everything. Like that really? was the opening of everything. At the time, I think I was 24 years old. I was a really, I'm obviously I haven't grown taller. I was a small person, but even smaller, like in size. And <laughs> I just felt very, like I felt, always felt like I was pretending to be an adult. I mm. always had this, I still kind of feel like that. I'm pretending to be an yeah, adult. Like imposter syndrome. Uh, very much so. Yeah. yeah. So when you walk into a newsroom like CTV, I don't know if you've been there. It's beautiful. It's this huge studio the national the, the de- desk where at the time it was Lloyd Robertson Lloyd his Robertson. desk is right there yeah. and you see faces that you only see on television and you have access to them it's so intimidating yeah and I remember like being a really awkward freelance I, I think I had my title was editorial assistant and just sort of standing around waiting for someone to tell me what to do and one of the assignment editors was like, don't wait for someone to tell you what to do. Just do something like yeah. you can go online. You can find stories. You can pitch me an idea. Hmm. You can. I would never learn those lessons in they journalism. They teach school. you that uh, no. in school. No, I don't teach you. I mean, that um, I think that is exists in every single business is that sure. you have to be everyone's new at one point in their life. And you just got to get in there and let that time pass so that then you can start to show off your talents. Yeah. No one just hits the ground running. It's impossible. No, you got to learn. And well, what did you learn in school, though? Oh, I mean, I went to journalism school. I mean, I, I remember even small things. I remember uh, like a teacher telling me, don't ever ask a question where the answer can be yes and no. Hmm. So to this day, I mean, it's such a okay. small thing. But when I hear journalists ask questions like, um, <laughs> did you like the show? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like what kind of you don't say did you like the show just say what about the show did you really enjoy you have to ask a question where they're going to have a conversation with you otherwise they're just going to because if the person is camera shy they're yeah. just going to say yes well that would make for an uninteresting interview between the two of us right now too mm-hmm. right <laughs> if I was asking you just yes or no questions right yeah yeah exactly <laughs> and but, but reporters do it all the time as it is with anything in university like you take a few things and you make a career out of it. It's not like you remember every single thing that you learn. Going to journalism school, a lot of people will still say, oh, you can become a journalist without going to journalism school. I think that's completely not true. I think Mm. you need to surround yourself, especially because the professors that are teaching you are former journalists or even um, Judy Charles. I think her name was Judy Charles. Was a broadcaster at CBC and teaching at Humber. Oh, cool. And uh, when I started working at CBC... I saw her and it was great. Like, it's such a nice full circle moment. That's awesome. Everything you taught, because she taught uh, radio broadcast. The things that she taught me, I was putting it into practice. So did you go to England next then? So I was at, this is where it gets interesting. Yeah. So I was at CTV 1999. I was there for that dot com. And then after that, they gave me a job on the weekend. I figured they in. hired you on somehow. Yeah. So I actually, at Humber College, in your second year, if you can show that you're legitimately working in a newsroom, you can actually get credits for that rather mm. than having to go to class because their whole program, it's a college program, is to get you working. It's not necessarily you've got to do the, the assignments. Like they'll graduate you even if you weren't in class if you can show that you were learning in the newsroom. So I had this job. So I was working a lot. So I basically moved back home to Scarborough because I lived across you're the right street. There. I was right there. And then, so this was 1999, so I worked there all throughout 2000. I graduated Humber College, no problem. Then I was working at Canada AM. I was working at, still on the CTV News Desk. I was working at Newsnet. I was doing all those things. And September 11th happened. Wow. So September 11th happens, and this senior editor, Trevor Bindu, who I'm also friends with on Facebook, comes (laughs) up to me and he says, this is your time. Mm. And I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, you have a visa 
in your passport to go to Pakistan? Because I know you just went to Pakistan six months ago to visit your family. Yeah. He goes, is that an open visa? I said, yeah, it's a five-year visa. He goes, you should go to Pakistan. I go, why should I go to Pakistan? He goes, because you're going to learn more that way than sitting here in this newsroom. He goes, and you speak Urdu. He goes, do not waste this. This is your time. Oh, nice. So I went home and I was like, "Uh, so this is my time and (laughs) I got to go. And I don't know what kind of convincing I did because I think to myself now having children, I don't know how I would let my daughter, even though my parents... You're a grown ad- adult though. I don't know. I, I, like a 26-year-old a mm. girl, you just send her off. Like, I, you know, I, yeah, I know. I'm a woman. I know I'm a woman. I'm not a girl. But it was because uh, <laughs> I'd been working. I had money. So I just went and bought a ticket. I just went and bought a British Airways ticket. I remember it was $1,600. I bought the ticket. I'm like, okay. CTV wrote me a letter saying that I was uh, coming to Pakistan to work um, with Matt McClure, who was the correspondent at the time in Pakistan. I love telling this story. It's like so nostalgic. Oh, good. So um, as soon as I got to like, so obviously I quit my job at CTV. I was like, well, maybe I'll come back. I don't know. And went there. I worked with Matt McClure for two weeks like pretty intense. Mm-hmm. Basically, I was his assistant, like, you know, because we didn't have smartphones and all that. So I would go down to the Internet Cafe in the Marriott Hotel and I would print off all his emails. I would print off any irrelevant information that he needed to know. I'd get his day set up. I would do interviews for him. I would I would um, translate stuff. Then uh, there was riots happening in Islamabad because people were worried, upset about the war. Yeah. I got separated for him, from him during a riot that we were covering. And CTV oh. found out about it or something happened and someone found out about it that I had been separated. They started to get really nervous. Yeah. And so then they wanted to find out what, what they were. I, I'm not, I don't want to speak for them because I don't know exactly what happened behind the scenes. Sure. But basically the, the message I was given was we can't insure you. Mm. Like we cannot insure you. Insurance on you is like a thousand dollars a day or something. Yeah. Like we just cannot insure you. So you have to immediately stop working with Matt McClure. And it was like, uh, it was like, a, they're like this moment, you cannot do anything work-wise with him. And I'm like, you guys wrote me this letter. You sent me here. You said I could work with him. And now you're telling me. And so I was devastated. I'm like, I haven't even paid my $1,600 plane ticket off yet. Like what's going on, right? Yeah. So I was at dinner <laughs> at the French embassy <laughs> in Islamabad with Matt McClure. This is where I saw, I saw this interview going, by yeah. the way. I knew this. <laughs> French Embassy. French Embassy. <laughs> Matt McClure. And I believe his name was, his name is Mario Certaneg. Okay. I believe his name is that. He, he works for the New York Times. Okay. And so he, I think his name, first name is Mario. And he's a really famous guy. I should really know what his name is. He said to me, tomorrow you come to the Marriott Hotel. I'm going to be in the pool area. Just come and I'm going to talk to you because you need some guidance. Yeah. So I went there and this guy is like, old time journalist right like he's just awesome he's mm. like i th- he might as well have been smoking a cigar sitting out there like <laughs> waiting for him to like bestow his wisdom I can, on me i'm picturing all of this yeah it's all, like it was just i mean when i think about the opportunity back then and how i didn't even understand how big it was sure so anyways i went there and he goes this hotel is full of news networks like news mm. agencies you just go from door to door to door with your resume and your Urdu translation. Which is your ticket, sort Which of, is my right? ticket. He yeah. goes, you are a Canadian citizen. You went to journalism school in Canada. Yeah. You speak the local language and you have connections here. This is your you time. You sell it. This is your time. <laughs> so that's what I did. So I started with the big guys. I went right up to the presidential suite okay. because CTV had a relationship with ABC. So I'd already been around ABC a little Ooh. bit. So I went right up to ABC. And um, now his name, I'm Leo... 
my linger was the guy, Bureau Chief, he's now passed. I can overdub all of the, it'll just be like the real names if you get them wrong. <laughs> Neil Meidlinger. Yeah, maybe. I, I mean, it's okay. If I get them wrong, it's been a long time. That's right. Um, he's From what I understand, he has passed away. But he, uh, he, I was like, this is what happened to me. I was kind of a wreck, to be honest. And he's like, we'll hire you. You're not an American. Right like, away. We're not worried. Right away. The f- yeah. Like, you went to the top and the first one. Yeah. And they said, Sure. Yeah, and and then he said, "What do you, what do you want me to pay you?" <laughs> and I'm like, um, and I'm I yeah. lowballed to the max. Like I could have asked for so much more money. Of course, because later I realized people were getting paid four or five times more than I was, but I couldn't go back. It's like and, danger pay, right? Is, yeah, is that what it was kind of like? At yeah, that time? like I could have asked for anything. Oh. I could have asked for anything. Um, and so all that happened and I worked for ABC for, you know, I don't know, three months until they didn't need me anymore. And it just happened that my cousin was getting married in Lahore. So I was like, Oh, I'll just extend my holiday and stay for this wedding. Went to her wedding. She was super happy. I had lots of money too. Cause I'd make tons of cash off ABC and I had so many contacts, like, yeah, like so many contacts, like, uh, Anthony Bourdain passed away recently recently, and the executive producer for his show parts unknown in the beginning Mm. was a guy I worked with. Okay. Yeah. Vinnie Malhotra. And I Facebooked him and I'm like, I'm so sorry to hear about, I know that you were on the show and he like, these are contacts. Like I feel like I've never really used them. Maybe I could use them one day. I also met, um, Wilf Dinnick who now we are, I wouldn't say we're friends, but we're, we are definitely people that keep in touch. Like Wilf Dinnick, he's a Canadian journalist. Now he works in the Middle East, mostly. He lives in the Middle East. Um, he was working at Global News. And so I was in like this scrum and I saw the Global News thing. I'm like, are you with Global News in Toronto? He's like, yeah, I'm the videographer and the reporter I'm here covering. Mm. Three days later, he he came into ABC News and I was, I don't know what I was doing. And he's like, would ABC release you for a day to come work with me? And so I talked to Leo Meidlinger and he's like, yeah, sure, go. And so we went to this like school uh, where I did a bunch of interviews like because all the girls spoke Urdu and I did the translation and we have all these great pictures of us like doing, you know. This is awesome. So that's how. And then uh, then I wanted to be a foreign correspondent then. After that experience, I didn't want to be a foreign correspondent anymore. OK, it wasn't so for that, me. that you at least you learned that early on. Right. So yeah. It wasn't always like a pipe dream or something. And then. You know, you found out that, okay, maybe I did it. Right? Yeah. To be a foreign correspondent, you really have to give your life to yeah, journalism. Yeah. And I didn't want to do that. Sure. I didn't want to do that. I, you know, sometimes I will think like I have seen people go very far, that the same people that were around me, George Stephanopoulos was in our office. Mm. Like, I mean, these people are just there. Um, Christiana Ampur was in the office. Like, she, even though she was with CNN, we were all working together. Yeah, it was all the same. Yeah. yeah. Same thing, right? Um, but everybody came from like, broken marriages or strain on relationships or no relationship at all because your job becomes your life. And yeah, yeah, so that was how I ended up there. Okay. So (laughs) how long total were you in Pakistan then? I think I was there from September, just after September 11th. So whatever, 16th or 17th, I think I went and I came back right in the new year. I believe I came back New Year's Eve day. (laughs) Lots happened. You, you have yeah. a lot of New Year's uh, memories. New Year's, yeah, I think I came back New Year's Eve day and I made $7,000, which was a fortune. Yeah. I remember I carried, I remember asking, I'm like, how much cash am I allowed to carry? They're like, up to 10000 you don't have to declare yeah. it, which is still the rule. They should probably For up money it now. Laundering. So I was like, oh, I have 7000 Perfect. I just put it in my, it's kind of an idiot. I just put it in my wallet, you in had, like in a money bag. Are you talking about cash? You had yeah, $7,000 $7, cash. I just brought it home. Probably U.S. cash? Yeah. <laughs> I just brought it home. 
<laughs> so, and I paid. I think I paid my debts with yes. that. I think I did. And just you walk into the bank and or whatever. Yeah, like, I probably look like Here's some a, sort of like <laughs> shitty dealer or something. Dr- yeah. It's my drug money. Literally, yeah. But you came back. Like you must have been changed. You're you're a different. You've seen all this stuff. Yeah, you know. Okay, so I was changed and I wasn't. I literally mm. went back after a week and started working in the CTV newsroom again. And Trevor Bindu walked by and he's like, "What is happening right now?" <laughs> he just pointed at me. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm doing. Um, what was I doing that day? I was doing um, closed captioning. So the closed captioning machine didn't always get all the words right. So I would have to go in and physically like change it. He's like, "What are you? Are you doing? serious? Yeah. Like, what are you doing right now? I'm like, I don't know making money again i agree with trevor bindi yeah i'm like making money he's like again he's like you cannot do this after Mm. doing that and so i already kind of knew that i was going to move somewhere and do something different so i had made a decision that i either was going to go to new york or go to london i kind of had decided now it is so hard to work in the states like to, Mm. to get a visa and maybe if ABC News, if I had approached them differently, like right from the get-go, been like, I want to do this because I want you to hire me in New York, I might have been more successful, but I sort of let that opportunity slip through my fingers, okay. I feel like, because yeah. I could have approached my opportunity there much. Like, I kind of left it, and I was like, thanks for the job. Here's my $7,000, and I went home. Whereas I should have been, where is this going to take me? Are you going to give me a recommendation in New York? And it's kind of... It's like, you know, the like strike when the iron's hot. I feel like I'm talking too much. This is an interview with you. So yeah, you're allowed to. I'm not letting you ask any questions. <laughs> um, so I, um, I went to England because it's pretty easy to get a visa to work in England. It's called a holiday maker visa. Yeah, if you're Canadian. If you're a Canadian. Or a Commonwealth. Commonwealth, yep. At the time, you had to be 29 or younger. I believe they've bumped it to 35. 30. You, you get the visa. The day you arrive in England, they stamp your passport. You can work for two years. And it's a five-year you have to go in within five years once it's on your passport. So I did that and I got a job at the BBC. And the awesome. f- first question they asked me was, do we have to sponsor you? I'm like, no, I've got this crazy visa that I can work here. Well, how do you just get a job at the BBC? That's Connections? Exactly. No, I applied. You just applied? I just applied. I did make a mistake there, though. I should have gone straight to London. So I went to London. I stayed with this guy that I was sort of dating, which helped because I didn't have to pay for anything. So I stayed with him and I just... I, I remember thinking, okay, I'm here for three weeks. Every day, week a day, I'm going to make 10 new connections. All right. Like this is pounding pavement at its finest. Yes. So every day I'm going to either email, call, or go and meet someone in person, but I'm going to make 10. I don't know if I made 10 every day, but that was my number. I was like, once I get to 10, I can say I've done it. And I think a few days I did get to 10. And so I just met with everybody and it wasn't, I was getting some traction, but not really. And then I started throwing my net a little bit wider and I applied for a job in Birmingham and I got it. Hmm. And it was a one-year contract at the BBC and they gave me five weeks holiday paid. And I was like, what? And the mistake was, and this is kind of now how I treat a lot of things that come my way, is that I got so excited about it that I, I, I forgot the long, the long view. Hmm. I, I, I took my eye off the ball that that wasn't going to help my career. I should stay in London and continue to pound the pavement and make those connections. Instead, I went to Birmingham and worked in a local newsroom for a year. Because mm. it was, what is your, what is your goal in your head at this point? Not a foreign correspondent, but you knew you were going to get the big time. What does that mean? Like, like news anchor or? Yeah, I mean, I think, <laughs> I think I still at this point had that foreign correspondent okay, idea. To... I think because it was close okay. enough. I'd sort of had a, an experience where I wasn't happy a hundred percent with the way that my life would have turned 
I wasn't happy 100% with the way I was seeing people's lives turn out, but I think I still had this in me that I wanted to go and and work in a foreign country for a big network and maybe they would take me places. I don't know. But there was more. You the in the local the lo- it job. just it just crushed it. Like I shouldn't although I met one of my dearest friends working at BBCWM. I just went to her wedding in, in April. Mm. So I have no regrets about it, but I took my eye off the ball. Like I should have been like, no, that's not the right opportunity. I need to stay here. Because the 9-11 verberations and then there was the Iraq war and there was so much going on at the time, which there still is now. I mean, there's always something going on that I could have attached myself to very easily because I already had that experience in Pakistan. Did you go back to London then? I, so I was After one year, year. Yes, I did one year in Birmingham. And then as soon as the contract was done, I went to London. I'd already started interviewing for jobs in London. And so then I got a job at the BBC World Service in the Caribbean section. Again, probably a weird thing for me to do. Like, why am I working in yeah. the Caribbean section? I'm not even from the Caribbean. I don't know anything about the Caribbean. That's right. The I mean, the Pakistan Urdu thing made sense. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like... What were you even reporting on? So, oh, so we, we would cover all different types of news out of the Caribbean. It was a show that was produced in London at the at World Service headquarters. Um, and so you got to be around everything happening around you. But one of the bigger shows would have probably suited me better. But this was fine. I mean, it was the World Service. At the end of the day, it was the World Service. And it was a part-time contract. So it gave me three extra days to do other stuff. So that was like my... That was my gig that just gave me permanent sort of money, like continuous money. And then they, I would use the other days I'd work at um, a television center on one of the, the big radio shows. A couple of times I worked even on the TV side, like as a, as a writer or as a, an editorial assistant. So I was picking up freelance, a lot of freelance that way. And yeah. just Are you ever on screen yet? So the whole year I was in Birmingham, I was on our, on air. But yeah, not okay. on, I wasn't on TV. I was on radio. Okay. I mean, even though I say it was, it took my eye off the ball. That led me to CBC Radio. Mm-hmm. Like that gave me. You I, have experience. I gave me experience. I had the tape, and I was able to get a job at CBC. You can radio. always stay. Like it, there's always something, right? There's yeah. always some value in, in an experience other than your friend. Uh, you know, your your long long yeah. time friend. Yeah. Of course, there's that, and and who knows how it would have turned out in London? Maybe it would have accelerated your path a little bit but everything happens for a reason without a doubt that's yeah. that's the way that i like to think about it yeah. it's easy to think like you want to go there especially when you have bad experiences right everything happens for a reason yeah yeah <laughs> like I, I went through that so that i could be the person that i am today right but you know it's the same thing with like mediocre experiences too right and then you came back uh did you come back to canada so I, yeah, I was in uh, so i had two years and i was going to spend that entire two years in in england yeah and I met a really great group of people in London and I ended up living with them for most of my time that I was in London. We all shared an apartment together on West Ferry Road. It was a really awesome time in my life. A lot of the fun stuff too, like getting to travel, going out loads, doing all that kind of stuff. But then a lot of good journalism too. Like just, I was working so much that one of my roommates was like, you need to call in sick today. Mm. And I'm like, but I'm not sick. And he's like, you need to call in sick today. He goes, you've been going for like 25 days. You need to have a mental health day, basically. So, so you're probably banking a lot of money, though, at this point, too. Yeah, then. but spending a lot. You're, London. So you're also spending. Okay. Because London is so, it's so expensive. And you and said you came back with debt. I this, came, is how, this is how this started. Yeah. So, <laughs> so maybe we should fast forward to that. So you come back to Canada. Yeah. And you have some debt. How did you pay off? 
You did? So I interviewed already for the job at CBC. Yes. And so they'd offered it to me before I, I, okay, I left. So, yeah. so I, I came to a job, which is a really, uh, I realize it's a very special circumstance because most people come and they have to look for. So mm. I, I knew I was coming to a job. So That's nice. as soon as I started working, I was living at home again. It was so weird how I just go back home. You went just went, well, it's yeah. nice. We should all do this if possible because it just gives you that like leg up you're not like sitting there wallowing in debt yeah because you can't pay your rent i wanted to get out of that debt because of that experience i had with the credit card many years prior and so i remember it was about 1500 pounds i think it was a combination of credit card debt and i was overdrawn on my bank account so i had to actually put money in to like get it back to zero i think i only recently closed that hsbc account because i was still doing a tiny bit of freelancing so i'd get paid into that account like might as well get the British pounds and then figure out later what I want to do with it. Yeah. But I think I closed it or they closed it because I just was inactive. I mean, no, knowing what you know today about uh, like overdraft and all that stuff. Oh, it makes <laughs> me feel sick. Yeah, because they were charging me every, you know, every month for having that overdraft. But I mean, we don't think about these things when we're... It's funny how personal finance just doesn't... It's not top of mind when we're doing other things, right? Yeah. And at that point... Did he even care about personal finance? No. When I came to Canada, when I was I was 28 years old, and I got the job at the CBC, my number one priority was to get my money in order. Oh, okay. My number one priority. And pay this debt off. Yeah. And so I started looking for real estate. I wanted to buy something. I'm like, I've got this job. I can get a mortgage. I want to buy something. Well, what lit this fire? Why, why now? Because you were just all over the place before, right? I just wanted to have, like, I wanted to invest. Like, I, I, I knew that I wanted to put my money somewhere. This was the right time. This, this, was, this was the was right the time. time. Okay. And so my brother and I, because we were both having this conversation on our own, mm. we put our money together and we bought a triplex in Toronto. Okay. And we lived in one apartment and we rented out the other two. And we still own it today. This is it's, smart. Yeah. So it's... Um, this is a common thing for people to say on this show. I bought this property (laughs) (laughs) and then and either I still have it today or I rented it out and I lived or paid for itself. Yeah, Uh, it's there's a common theme with wealth uh, and buying things early. Well, that is that is the key, right? Understanding how, you know, getting into the game early is more beneficial than making more money down the road and trying to save more. And the other thing is holding on to it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we we always see these articles about how renting is better than owning. The best thing that you can do for your personal finance is buy a property and rent it out and then rent something else for yourself. Mm. That is the best personal finance situation you can be in. So you rent the home that you live in, but you also own real estate, but you just don't happen to live in it. Yeah. Someone else is paying that. Well, rent. why not own your own place though? Because it is more expensive to own. Yeah, it's a good right. Point. So when you own something, and uh, like people will argue with me, well, look at the prices, the way they went up in Toronto. Uh, yeah, I mean there are situations where if you bought at the right time, yes, your home price probably did go up so much that it was worth it for you to ha- be a homeowner. But generally speaking, when you rent, you have more money in your pocket left over at the end of the month that you can then save. Yeah. Into whatever you want to save as. And then you can buy a property somewhere where you don't necessarily want to live yep. uh, or somewhere where it's affordable. Yep. And you don't have to worry about, oh, God, I got to move there and yep. live there yep. forever. Yeah. <laughs> or exactly. for 10 years. Yeah. Or however long it is. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm, I'm getting a lot of this advice lately. It's uh, uh, real estate. But it, and this is still true now like if people wanted to do this today oh so i did a video a little while ago about why real estate is still a good investment Mm. so if you go back to 1990 91 when there was the housing crash in toronto Mm. 
you could basically just cut and paste those headlines and put them on it's like today, like right, right before the crash, uh, prices are out of control. They did a yeah. profile on this guy who had like a bank job. So uh, I'm assuming he made like a lot of money. I think they even set his salary at the time. He made like $80,000, which is a crazy amount of money at that time. Yeah. And he couldn't afford to live in Toronto. So he used to commute in, I think from Hamilton or somewhere outskirt sure. of Toronto. <laughs> if this guy can't afford to live in Toronto, how can regular people? And so it's the exact same stories happening now. Like you're hearing people move further and further out of the city so they can afford to live or afford to, to, to work in Toronto. If you bought a house at the peak, so at the peak, I believe in Toronto, the house average house price was $235,000 at okay. that time. So say you bought it at the absolute peak. You are the guy that bought the house and right after that, prices yeah. started to go down. You'd still be sitting on like a more than a million dollar house today, 20 years later. Like you'd still be much better off if you just held. I mean, real estate is a long game. Like you have to buy it for the long term. Mm. I have no time for people who are flipping homes or buying things off plans to get them. I have no time for that it's because a, I don't know how. Yeah. Like it was the real estate equivalent of uh, like day, day trading. trading. Yeah. yeah. Or even just buying individual stocks and yeah. watching them go up and down and selling them or whatever. If they, you know, w- whenever you feel like it's the right time, they feel too much, too many feelings. Right. Yeah. And then the, and the thing with real estate is if you buy it as an investment, it's very difficult to sell it. So um, that's another thing. It's like if you have that, you know, that trigger trigger kind of finger to sell then real estate's good for you because it sort of keeps you in check because you've got to like list it and get people it's just a big to do you can't just press a button on the computer and and sell it so you got this property Mm -hmm. and you guys are making money or it's paying for itself paying the mortgage on its own sort of well we still paid rent so we decided what we thought rent would be in the apartment that we lived in yeah and so we were still paying I think we were paying more than we needed to, but both of us were putting $750 out of our own pocket. So to like accelerate the mortgage. Yeah. And we'd borrowed money from our father to do the down payments. We had to pay that money back. Yeah. There was a lot of things that were happening, but yeah, but eventually now that we've moved out of it and now that it's been, I don't know how long has it been now, 14 years, the mortgage covers most of the costs. And we just enjoy the fact that we bought it a long time ago and that it's, yeah. A, a good investment for us anyways so you had that you just knew you wanted that and but you're not working in personal finance yet are you no i'm i'm at the cbc yeah just and um so this is when i started i when i think back i'm like when did i start i was always interested in money how long have we been going i feel like we're, going it, we're, we're at about 57 minutes yeah i think we should. <laughs> so yeah that's a long time that's why i don't ever put a limit on this because okay. you know we just heard an awesome story about you going <laughs> to pakistan at 9 11 yeah yeah and i don't know if anybody was uh you know expecting that i don't i don't want them to say that it shouldn't be in the show right Right. because we have to oh we should just be under 45 minutes right right right. that's what i think because this is your story you're telling it yeah but yeah like let's uh let's get to the let's go to the personal finance uh or how long did it take you to get there so i think i always had an interest of talking about business i like talking about money um uh, you remember Robert Fisher? He's uh, he's I used to be an anchor on Global, and then he came over to CBC. Yeah, I do. Actually. And he knew that I'd bought this property, and then we bought another one in two years. And so he started telling people I was the Trump of of Toronto, <laughs> which now that the time seemed hilarious, but now I'm like, stop calling me yeah, that. No, not, yeah, now. not now. Yeah. And so I'm like, I own two little properties with my brother. That's not. It's <laughs> like, but. But it, it was like, is sort of odd to him because nobody else was doing this. No, I think he just liked. I think he was proud of me. 
Sure. And I think that was his way of saying it. Yeah, okay. Because he, we had a very sort of like, you know, he was a generation older than me. Yeah. He is a generation yeah. older than me. And if I see him today, you know, he, he'll he'll comment. He'll be like, you knew you wanted to do this back then. Like you were already socking your money away and, and yeah. investing. And now you're, you're like, look at you. You're talking about personal finance. It's kind of like a father, you know, <laughs> being very proud of his daughter. Well, like, look well at you. Done. Well done, girl. Well, well done. done. <laughs> well done, little girl. So uh, uh, I used to work with this reporter producer Carla Weiss she's now married her last name is different now but um, I remember she was a business reporter for a little while and then one day the Bank of Canada raised rates 50 basis points okay and everyone in the newsroom was like what does that mean and Carla was the only one that could answer that question like that's a big deal when the bank raises rates 50 basis points, meaning it's almost like two rate hikes yeah. at once. So just for people who, because not everybody knows basis points. So this uh, a basis point is like, or 50 would be like, what, 0.5 or? Yeah, so half a percentage half a percent, point. Exactly. So normally the Bank of Canada raises rates and we're probably, you know, 25 basis points at a time. Okay, so yeah. a quarter of a percentage so two, point. Yeah. So to raise rates that quickly. Just all at once. And so I was like, why is this so exciting? Like, why are they talking to her? And like, why? Like, I remember that story. And she was like, that's a big deal. Like, a this half should. A, half a percent. It's huge. Because they're basically saying, we got to slow this economy down. Mm. Right? There's We got to. It's overheated. We got to slow it down. So that was my. I remember that. I remember like being interested in like why she was. She Like, she, that was such a big deal. And mm. kind of trying to figure out. Like, I didn't understand how the Bank of Canada even worked back then. Their mandate was. It's like, not oh. like a real bank. Yeah, it's not like a real <laughs> bank. I was like, so it's not like they don't have branches? Like, yeah. <laughs> I want to open a checking account with you. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't work that way. They, they should probably... Just like how I say about the TFSA, it's like misnamed because yeah. it gives people an impression that it's a savings account when it's not. Absolutely. The Bank of Canada should have a name like the Federal Reserve yeah. where you understand that it is the central bank, that it's not a commercial bank. It just should, yeah, the Canadian Central it sh- Bank. It should yeah. be like, you know, the federal something. It yeah. should be, you know, a, they can think, I mean, I don't know what they would, like, it could be the Canada Federal Reserve. Yeah. There's like the U.S. Federal, I don't know if that would make sense, but they should change the names so that makes more, clarity is key, right, when it comes to things about finance. Everything, they, they could change a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> so fast forward, I left CBC and I went to CP24 and I was there for a few years. Okay. And CP24, the, the producer at the Toronto Stock Exchange Broadcast Center, TSX Broadcast Center, which still exists today, quit. Uh, she wanted to go into acting or something. So she quit pretty abruptly and nobody wanted to do business. And I was like, I want to do business. Send me there. And so I went there and the executive producer said, don't be afraid to put the camera on yourself. I was like, oh, I won't be afraid to put the camera on myself because <laughs> I was already anchoring on the weekend. I've been, I'm ready for this. And then I get to the TSX Broadcast Center. I'm there three days a week and I anchor on the weekend. Someone else does the Thursday, Friday. I do the Monday to Wednesday. Okay. And I meet bank CEOs, investment advisors Mm. patty lovett reed wolfgang Mm. klein these people became my friends these are like personal finance heavyweights that i met you know so i got to pick their brain the first thing they said was do the canadian securities course that was the first thing i was told they're like you don't have time to do your mba just do the canadian securities course and this would just help you with understanding and conversations and stuff like that not that you're going to be doing anything with securities and and give you credibility that you actually are taking you know, if you, taking if you it seriously. taking it seriously, if you want to be an expert in something, you should get some courses. Yeah. Even though it's not a it's not a designation, but it just gives you. Well, that's a good point because I was like, I'm going to be a personal finance coach. You know what? Sure, I have the university degree and 15 years experience working in finance, but maybe I should take something to just you know fill in the blanks a little bit. So there's this thing called the registered retirement consultant designation. Right. And I got that, and I don't really tell people about it, uh, but I have it. 
<laughs> if anybody wants to know. Yeah, yeah. Right? And I guess that was sort of my thought at the time. You know, I don't want to be the designation guy, but yeah, you're you're like, you know, this is journalism. This is, you know, you're broadcasting to Canadians all over. You know, you want to, you're trusted. Yeah, and I mean, it gives you a bit of knowledge about things that, you know, I mean, I don't remember everything that I learned, no. but I mean, you you know where to get the information. I think yeah. that's number one, right? In journalism, you only need to know 10% more than everybody else. You don't really need to know everything. Um, and so that's like, a, I mean, when you become a subject matter expert, like now as a personal finance journalist, I feel like I need to know more than just the 10%. But um, generally speaking, if someone says something about personal, like for example, this morning, I had to talk about household income to debt ratio and then... The other ratio was income to debt without the household. So one is calculated using disposable income mm. and one is calculated using your gross income. Okay, and yeah. so they're two different numbers. Very different and numbers. so I, I was like, I don't why is it such a big deal that the number is 15.2? That this is what they were talking about this morning. And I realized, ah, it's disposable income. So there's, you know, at least I know how to go and get the information because like, I'm not like up to date on all my you know, ratios and what, you know, and I've so, forgotten all the ratios. Exactly. So I, I, I Googled it and I'm like, ah, oh, okay. Now I understand. But if I don't even understand what disposable income means, I'm never going to get That's anywhere. Right. Right? You need so. to at least have the basis. And since you didn't get a degree in business or finance, yep. you're in journalism, then this makes sense for you to yeah, exactly. take a little bit of an extra thing. Yeah. Yeah, so that's ba- that started my career a- in personal finance where okay. I was really doing like economics and business news proper for a while, uh, doing a lot of market updates because I was at the TSX Broadcast Center. Yeah. Then I left CP24 and I went to News Talk 1010. I was their business correspondent for quite a few years. Then I took a little bit of time off and went to TD Bank, which was another very bad mistake because um, the, mar- really? the, the jobs were drying up. I was freelance. Mm. I was starting to like get really nervous so I took this job thinking this would be my security it was a very bad idea what kind of job was it It was. Well, you don't in, have to get into detail no no it was a, a newly created social media department I thought it would really oh, fit but yeah. I mean banks are big cumbersome yeah they move so slow and when you come Very from a newsroom slow. yeah that's so where, different from you like literally industry. i can email and say can i have this idea on air and it's on air in an hour we're gonna fly you to pakistan uh well, you know tomorrow well yeah. that was then but yeah like, yeah try to get the approval from that uh, in a bank never yeah <laughs> it, it was just too much and it was not like i, mean, I didn't even pass probation like they were well aware that it wasn't a good fit either interesting so one of the only times I was fired from a job, but it was great. Like, I mean, yeah. I, I immediately went back to journalism. I was like, forget this. Okay. I immediately went back to journalism. So again, a reason it, it was to show you that journalism was your place, right? Like, exactly. What yeah. was the purpose of this? To show that. Yeah. <laughs> that, I mean, that's about, that's the way that I see it just as a, as an observer. It's like, yeah, you got to step away from it yep. to know that you really belong. Yeah. And you know, one thing good that came out of that experience was I understood, I started to understand the, how a bank works from the inside. Mm, look at that too then. Yeah. So there was that. I started to understand a bit of the lingo that banks use. So I'm able to communicate better with banks when I do talk to them about certain things. And I learned how to make a deck. I know it sounds so silly, but what journalist ever needs to make a deck to show? So when someone says, could you make a deck? And so all of a sudden, you know, oh, that means something on PowerPoint with 10 pages that explains what my idea is. A pitch deck. A pitch deck. Yeah. I, I'd never. You never had. But you wouldn't. Well, how would you pitch ideas? Just 
go into a room and tell somebody. Yeah. Yeah, because that's how it's done in journalism. Yeah. Or you send a blurb. It's that's called a blurb. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you learn an actual so different. skill. Yeah. You learn the corporate way of doing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Boring way. Which is uh, the, <laughs> the way that I know how to do it as yeah. well. Pretty you may put together. I had to do a PowerPoint presentation for an interview. Oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> it was the third one. Okay, okay. It was on the vision and values of the company. It was for MLSE. I don't know if they still do it. Okay. But I learned the vision and values. Yeah. That's for sure. And okay. I got the job. So, so you obviously <laughs> so did a good job. So, yeah. So, the, like, th- now, like, because I have this sort of hybrid job where sometimes I do sometimes work with companies. And so, oh, as an example, I'm going to be speaking in Ottawa next month. And I probably will put together a deck and then use that as my as my presentation, right? Yeah. But I did not understand PowerPoint at all. Like I had to, I had to literally ask someone. I'm like, where do I? How? What is PowerPoint? So that maybe opened the door a little bit, or gave you a little bit of a start with if you were going to do public speaking in the future. Which yeah. what do you remember? Like when would have been a, the first time I did public speaking? Yeah, like at a, at an event or something. So I I work I still do freelance for this company called Homes Publishing. Okay. And after the TD TD situation, yeah. um, I started just emailing anybody that wanted a personal finance writer. Sure. And one of the places I found a lot of work was these small magazines that you get for free. Oh. In your mailbox or at the newsstand at the subway or okay. at the go, sta- go train station. And so one of them was Homes Publishing. And Michael Rosette's their publisher Like in CEO. the blue box on the exactly. side of the uh, It's an corner. amazing place yeah, to get your sure. writing. And, and because he didn't have anybody writing personal finance, he's like, yeah, we'll take your stuff. Hmm. And so I've been working with them now going on um, since 2011 so it's that seven years so they they always have stuff for you they every i i I file two columns for them so about once every month and there's some months i have to file two one of the magazines is once every two months like bi-monthly and one of them is monthly so there are months where i'm doing two and then the, the alternate month i'm just doing the for the one so homes publishing sponsors or i don't know if they still do but they sponsor the home show so he asked me like would you like to do a talk about you know, spending money and saving money. Awesome. So I did um, a deck called uh, on joyless spending. I called it joyless spending. So it's about spending money on things that don't make us happy. Yeah. And don't do it basically was the message. And so all the things that we do in our lives where we're not getting any value out of it. I mean, some things like I don't want to go and buy a uh, carpet cleaner, but I have to because I want to keep my carpets clean. You know what I mean? That, that, that adds value. That to adds your value. To, yeah, exactly. So we should think about all transactions in that way or most of them anyway, big ones, yeah. especially. Is this adding value? Is that your presentation? Basically. Yeah. And so, and, and after, I remember that book came out, the, the, the Magical Effect of Tidying Up, and it's basically oh, yeah. the same thing. You look at something, does it give me joy? If it doesn't, if it doesn't have a use, throw it away. Right, I'm like, so. I think that was my idea because <laughs> I had my joyless spending many years prior before this Magical Effect of Tidying Up book Did came out. Did you look out in the audience? Was the author Yeah, the author and she was there? from Japan. I don't think she was there, but... <laughs> Yeah, so that's that's the first tape of you. Yeah, maybe, Definitely. maybe. Like, have you have you done public speaking before that? Then, like, not really. In, no, in general. So not really. No, yeah. I, I don't really like public speaking. I got to yeah. be honest. Like, I, I it makes me really nervous. Okay, but I'm getting Still. better. I'm getting better. Oh yeah. Okay. Because people just stare at you. But you had been on TV broadcasting for a while mm-hmm. up, up to this point. And on radio, I, I understand radio is different than video because I'm we're technically on radio now. I feel very comfortable on on this. Yeah, on YouTube. I'm just getting just getting started. Right. right. It's, it's a different, very different beast. Right. So, is that how you feel about 
like public speaking versus being on television? Yeah. Oh, no. Being on television, I'm totally fine with. Yeah. Because the camera is a crutch, right? Like you sure. feel much more comfortable because you're just talking to an inanimate thing. And even if you have one other person, like an anchor that's interviewing you, or if you're the anchor, it's not as, it doesn't feel as intense. Even though you might be broadcasting to so many more people, you don't see them. But when you do public speaking, it's like they're just there to see you. They're all there. Yeah. And they can't turn you off and you can't turn them off and... And I forget because uh, I'm better with public speaking than I'm on video. Right. Because I mean, it's, it's probably because of my you know years, my whole life performing as a musician. Mm-hmm. And so I, the audience doesn't bother me, right? It, especially if I know what I'm doing, right? So it's interesting, like what experiences, like you can you could go to another country and report, you know, like on uh, dangerous situations. And uh, yeah, people say like they'd rather you know die than go speak in front of a group of people right that's like on the on the list i mean it doesn't make me as nervous as it used to no no but i i think it's interesting to look at that like i always assume someone who could write could also speak Mm -hmm. or um host a show or Mm -hmm. if you can write you can or if you're speaking you can write but it doesn't always translate through no of course they're very different things and of course you know all this as uh with your journalism degree yeah it's just interesting to, to look at that and to know that uh you know, it's just not it's not easy for everybody to do all these things. And mm-hmm. I don't think we we realize that. So TD gave you a little bit of uh, a kind of a leg up on that. You And then you got the, the speaking. And what's next? What was next? So th- th- I mean, that has been now. That's, I mean, I that's, that's been my life. So after yeah. the after what happened, um, you know, sort of 2008 to about 2011, yeah. where, you know, contracts didn't get renewed and the TD bank thing happened. I just said to myself, I don't ever want to have one employer again. Yeah. I don't ever want to be beholden to one person or one company or anything. So yes, contracts have come and gone for me. Big contracts have, you know, all of a sudden ended and it's like a, ma- a massive, you know, chunk of change coming out of my pocket that I was expecting or I had been getting used to, but I've just been freelance and I'm always hustling. I'm always trying to get more work. I'm always throwing my net wide more and more laser focused on personal finance and sort of getting away more from the money and economics, even though I still do that. And, um, and some public speaking now, but so that's what I, you know, well, cause you, you've built y- your reputation, yeah. right. As a personal finance expert. Mm-hmm. And how do you manage the, the cash flow gaps? Like, do you have a, a, you put money away for this or that? Like when you have a contract, you're like, I know this might not last forever. So let's, you know, let's put that in the savings or is there yep. any, you have any, any tips for someone who does have sporadic income like that? So, yeah, number one is to have an emergency fund, which I do. Um, And the way that you build that, at least the way that I build it, is that I put 15% of everything I make before tax into my emergency fund. It's like a, it's like just, it just goes. It doesn't even, and because like, you know, I'll get a check here and a direct deposit there. And, you know, some companies pay me through this weird system where it goes into PayPal. But it doesn't matter how I get paid. Whatever it is I get paid so if they paid me $500, I'm putting 15% of that $500 Always. into this emergency account. And when it gets a little bit, like, for example, um, a while ago, it ballooned to $20,000. Mm. And so I thought, mm, do, I don't need $20,000 just hanging around in this account. So we just took that money and we put it on the, the, the mortgage. Okay. So put a $20,000 yeah. lump sum payment on the mortgage. This is, you know, when we were really trying to get our mortgage paid down. Or if you don't have a mortgage, you maybe that's the time to invest that Invested, money. Invested, yeah. yeah. And, and then... When I didn't have that option, when we had it, then we bought it and we bought my husband and I bought an investment property. So we had a little bit of, so I, I'm always sort of finding, like I'm doing that 15% 
And then when it gets to a number where I'm like, okay, I think I can do something with this money, then I'm doing something proactively with it. Have you um, ever had to use it? Like, uh, I'm assuming an emergency in this specific case would be you don't have work for a bit. Yeah. And we have had to use it. Um, my husband's dad got really sick mm. uh, overseas. He's passed now. This is going back three years, uh, two years. And um, we needed to get some money very quickly. And so that emergency fund came in handy. Yeah. Otherwise, you would have had to go into debt. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Or you wouldn't have been able to do whatever you needed to do, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Which which is kind of the worst situation to be in where and hard choices to make. Like you never want money to get in the way of something important. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean people use that excuse to go into debt, I'm sure. Yeah, and a lot of people use like their line of credit as, as their emergency fund, which I admit sometimes I think, well, that might be a good idea. Like, why do I have this money on the side? I just have, have take money out. Of the-. the problem is, is that when you borrow money from your line of credit, it's a completely different emotion yeah, than when you psych- take it out of your. Of it yeah, is. so in an emergency situation, you still don't want to be wasting money. Um, so if you can take $3,000 out of the line of credit, why not take $5,000 out? But if you're taking it out of your savings, you're being a little bit more careful. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. So, yeah, how do people, where do they see all this awesome, The this is the culmination of all of your years of doing this, <laughs> is like, you know, you're just killing it on personal finance now. So, yeah, where do they go to find you? You can find me on Twitter. It's always save money. And or you, you can just Google me, Rubina yeah. Ahmed Huck. And there's tons of ways to find me that way. I'll put info in there. In YouTube, you have YouTube videos. Yeah. I mean, YouTube, I'm not so big on. My big thing is Twitter. I mean, I'm so busy with freelance work that I haven't been much able to focus on the social side. But I'm always checking. And I'm always, if you DM me on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, I always get back to people. And are you on TV uh, regularly or irregularly? Or do you you ever get to do that? Yeah, I do a pretty regular gig on CBC with uh, CBC News Network. And so I'm often on the business panel. Okay. uh, Which is pretty surreal because i appear with some heavyweights um you know people who have built businesses for millions of millions of dollars and i get to give my two cents of what i think is going on in the economy so it's a pretty awesome experience and uh makes me feel quite proud i think i feel like that's one of the things i do that makes me quite happy and i mean for four years i was on steven and chris and for two years i was on the goods which is a lifestyle show you can still get it like as the personal as a finance i was their personal finance expert on the show yeah i like that i was their regular personal finance expert and i do a lot at global news toronto yeah okay so people probably see all over the place Hmm. and you're going to be hosting the canadian personal finance conference yes i'll be hosting that it's a two-day event uh november 3rd and 4th or is it 4th and 5th i think yeah yeah the Sunday to the Monday and that's like I mean I wrote it in a in a Instagram post this morning too is it's a huge honor to go as an attendee and then next year come back I was on a panel last year you're an attendee only oh you're a panel last year the so first attendee, year first I was time. attendee yeah second year I went I went uh, they invited me to come and speak on the the panel yeah. with um, Alan Roseman and yeah, uh, I, I, totally, Leon. I was there I yeah, yeah which was again a huge honor and then this year they asked me to host it, which is crazy. Like, so cool. And don't they know I'm afraid of public speaking? I have to really get over that. <laughs> well, now that, I, now that I think about it, this will probably air after the conference. That's okay. Because okay. I got a big lineup and you did great. Thanks. <laughs> That's really what, what was You did great. <laughs> you were so good <laughs> at hosting it. And uh, well, uh, thanks for telling, telling your story. This is really cool. Thank you. I know it seems long, and I've yet to get feedback from people saying it's too long. So please write in if you think these are too long. But I think it's awesome to hear people's stories, and you can press pause, right, <laughs> if you want to start it and continue it later. But, okay, so, Rubina, thank you so much. 
Thank you so much for having me. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or however you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave me a five-star rating, a review, or both. If you're already a subscriber, please join my Facebook group so that I can thank you personally. To find the group, go to Facebook and search for The Personal Finance Show. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Personal Finance Show. I'll be back next week with side hustler and blogger at My Money Chronicles, Jason Butler. 